This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy Honors Program, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the Christian faith and biblical creation. Launching early 2019, the program offers video and audio training with downloadable course workbooks, expert interviews, and exclusive Q&A sessions with leading creation scientists and apologists, quarterly ebooks covering a wide variety of subject matter, and even a private Facebook community where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. If you want to be notified when the program goes live and even help us design the experience from the ground up, head on over to www.jointca.co today and sign up for the waitlist. You'll get early access to the private Facebook group for free as a thank you for joining. All right, you're listening to the Creation Academy, a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and this week we are finishing out our series on the uh, destruction of paradise, and this is lesson number 55, and we're talking about Noah found grace understanding God's rescue plan. Now, admittedly, um, this episode is going to be much more about theology than it is about science, and uh, and we've had, I think in this series, a pretty good mix of both of those things. We've had a good amount of uh, theology, especially we saw uh, in our first lesson, we talked about, um, it was really a good mix of theology, science, and philosophy all put together. In the second episode, we spent uh, almost an hour on the science, and then almost an hour on the theology. Then, uh, uh, of course, uh, the next week, we dealt with the flood of evidence. You'll remember that. And, of course, we talked about uh, lots of science on that one. And then last week, we dealt more with theology. And then this week, we are again dealing more with uh, theology. Nevertheless, um, this is important that we understand um why it is that God chose to flood a world in the beginning, and what that means for us. And as we look at today's topic, what we're going to find is uh, a little bit more specifically what it means to us as it relates to our lives as Christians, and as it relates to our understanding of God's grace and how God has chosen to interact with his people. And so this is going to be a very, very exciting lesson. And and I say we just dive right on in. So uh, by way of introduction a little bit here, let's review what kind of things we can conclude based on the previous lessons in our series. First of all, We saw that God is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, transcendent creator. All right, that's to say that uh, he is uh, the greatest possible being. Philosophers would say that he is a maximally great being. And of course, there are certain uh, entailments that come along uh, with 
having the property of maximal greatness. Um, such qualities are moral perfection, um, logical perfection, uh, perfection in, uh, in, in justice and in mercy and in love. We see that uh, any attribute that God has, by definition, He is uh, the best. He is the perfect version of whatever uh, that should be. And so uh, we can then kind of put some depth to our New Testament understanding that we have that God is trying to conform us. That's what God wants to accomplish with us. He wants to conform us to the image of His Son. In other words, we are attempting to become more Christ-like. That is uh, the purpose of trial, tribulation, of, of suffering, of all of these uh, things. No matter what happens to us in our lives, it is the will of God that we be conformed to the image of Christ. And so when you start to deal with with questions like, what is the will of God for my life? Well, I'll tell you what the will of God is. To become more like Christ. For you to become more like Christ. And in whatever scenario you're in, whatever thing God has to do to work in your life, what he is doing is accomplishing in your life his will. And his will is to conform you to the image of his son. And so um, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whatever uh, life brings your way, so to speak, we all uh, are, are well acquainted with life. Um, Sometimes, quote, life is is nicer to us than at other times, but um, we have to realize and remember that we don't have such a nihilistic outlook. We uh, are not at the mercy of fate or uh, the deterministic um, values of our biology. No, we realize that we have been created in the image of God, and God has a will. God has a uh, certain plan that he is working out, and, you know, it's become kind of, um, you know, um, cliche to say, well, God has a plan. Well, it may be cliche because people use it in, in circumstances where maybe a more um, a, a, a response with some more depth would have been appropriate. Uh, but nevertheless, it's still true. God is working a plan. And that plan is the salvation and redemption of those who follow him and ultimately conforming them to be like Christ. So we have to realize that we, we now have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, transcendent creator who has a will for our lives individually, and that is to become more like him. And we're going to see this in just a minute, but what we're going to find is that God will sacrifice anything it takes to accomplish that will, anything and every thing, even things that to us seem unfair, or, or maybe we just don't understand why God would do such a thing. Well, you see, that's why. It's because he's looking to conform us to the image of his son, which is perfect holiness, and it matters so much to God that that happened, 
that uh, nearly everything else just simply pales in comparison and is worth sacrificing. And we'll deal with that more in a moment. Okay, so then following from that, we find that God created paradise. Uh, That's what the Bible tells us, that our all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, transcendent creator did. He created paradise. He placed us in that paradise. And he made us in his very image. Uh, That is, as Dr. Andrews talked about in our second lesson of this series, there are certain attributes of God that uh, theologians call the communicable attributes of God. And by making us in his image, he gave us some of those attributes. Now, obviously, he cannot give us those things which are only um, the properties of maximal greatness, okay? We, we can't have any of those things. We cannot be all loving. We cannot be um, all uh, just. We, we cannot be perfect in any sense, okay? But um, nevertheless, God did communicate to us those things which he could. And so we find that our lives often mirrors um, the way that God is the kind of the kind of being that God is. There are uh, many parallels with the kind of being that we are. All right, now this person that He made in the beginning, this Adam, and uh, and then Eve, of course, from His side. This was a real person. These were real people, and God created them and fellowshiped with them. Now, God loved, and still loves mankind. That has never, ever changed. And it may seem, you know, ordinary, mundane uh, to, to bring it down to such a level, but I honestly think that the best parallel and one endorsed biblically in what happened there it's the same thing as when you and I bring a child into this world. I think that that's probably a perfectly appropriate parallel. Um, I brought, uh, me and my wife, I should say, have brought so far two sons into the world and Lord willing, contingent upon um, a, uh, a smooth delivery and a healthy delivery and all of that, uh, somewhere around October 20th of this year, 2018, we will have our third son. We'll have brought our third son into the world. And the reality is that from the moment, uh, even before the moment that I laid eyes on them, isn't that an interesting parallel too? God can see us before he laid uh, his, quote, eyes on us, okay? I mean, that's that's not really a good uh, analogy because, you know, God is a spirit. But the fact of the matter is uh, that God knew us before we were in our mother's womb. And I knew my sons really before they were in the world. I, I knew them uh, as they were in um, their mother's womb. And when we look at that, we see such a parallel there. I loved my kids from that very moment on. Um, and I'll still love them today. Now they, over the course of their lives, I'm sure will do some things that will upset me. Uh, They'll probably do some things that will absolutely break my heart. They will probably rebel in ways right now that I can't even um, imagine. I can't even uh, process some of what I'm sure 
I'm going to have to deal with. Nevertheless, I still love them. And I can't imagine not loving them uh, because of who they are. It's their personhood, um, their intrinsic value that they have both to me and as a person in the world that invites my love upon them. And that's exactly what happens in the beginning. All right. Now, next we see from this that God floods the world. What? After what we just talked about, God floods the world and destroys everybody? Why? What does that mean? Now, we talked about that in um, the third lesson of our series. We talked about the fact that there was a plethora of evidence left behind by this flood. Now, many critics, skeptics, scoffers, as Peter uh, calls them, um, want to deny that this flood happened despite the fact that we do see lots of evidence for it in the fossil record, in the rock record, certainly we see lots of evidence for this global deluge. And as a matter of fact, um, some have argued, and I think there's at least some merit to this, but some have argued that God used such a catastrophic event to flood the world so that there would be evidence of it. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to speak to whether or not I find that compelling, Um ultimately, but, you know, I think some have have argued pretty ably for that position. So then we find that men rebelled even further against God. Now, remember, men rebelled against God in the garden. And now we find that men began to rebel even further against him after the curse took place. And a matter of fact, it gets so bad that the Bible says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, talking about mankind, was only evil continually. Now, that's a pretty sad in- indictment. That is a that is a sad indictment. Now, this is a little bit where our parallel breaks down um, when we talk about uh, humanly fatherhood. Now, just because we brought our children into the world, that does not mean that we have the right, despite our best threatenings um, in those intense moments of fellowship that we have with our families, uh, it does not actually mean that we have the right to take them out of this world, because we are not God. We do not have the ability to play God. And again, um, within a Christian context, this is an understandable thing. Now, there are some animals who eat their young. All right, now, in the evolutionary view, we're just animals. Now, you know, we are a, uh, 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 on their view, we are social animals, but nevertheless, um, we're still talking about survival of the fittest here. So, really, it's only on the Christian worldview, even though the analogy breaks down, it's still only on the Christian worldview that it makes sense not to sacrifice our young for the greater good of yourself. Um, and so we understand that in the proper context that God has given us, with God as the head, and then us as leaders of our family, we have a responsibility to our children, and we are not the judge. God is the judge. So that process is set up and put in place. So um, do we have the authority to, uh, and we're just going to be frank about this, do we have the authority to take our children out of this world if they become evil? No, of course we do not. Does God have that authority? Well, absolutely he does. 
He is the creator of everything. He sustains all life. All God has to do is withdraw sustaining power for one second on one thing and everything falls apart. All right, this is God we're talking about who literally holds the fabric of the universe together. Um, and so this is the situation we find ourselves in. Now, as we look at this lesson, we begin to look at this strange little entrance into the picture that we've been painted of a, uh, or, or that has uh, been painted here um, by a, a man named Noah. All right, we begin to look at the life of this man named Noah who comes in. And we find that God, despite the fact that man's thoughts have become only evil continually, we find that God decided to spare the life of one man and his family. And of course, this is Noah, the man we know to be Noah. And so there is much discussion around the subject of why why did God choose Noah? Why did, as we talked about for our title, why did why did Noah find grace? And uh, I, I, I subtitled the lesson Understanding God's Rescue Plan because I think actually by really understanding what's going on in, in these early chapters of Genesis, it lays the perfect foundation for the gospel. And um, that's what I mean when I say God's rescue plan. Um, and that shouldn't be taken to mean that I'm saying that uh, that this was a contingent thing, that God didn't know what was going to happen. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's God's rescue plan, even though he already knew that he was going to have to initiate it before the whole thing got set in motion. It's still God's rescue plan, and we're going to try to explain some of that. Now, uh, every now and then I make mention of this, but being the Baptist preacher that I am, um, I like to sometimes distill things into a easy-to-remember, three-point, four-point, alliterated outline. And so that's what we're going to do uh, today, we're going to talk, first of all, about the comeliness of Noah. Then we're going to talk about the condition of salvation. And finally, the connection to Christ. And we're going to try to get to the bottom of all of this. All right, so let's begin, first of all, talking about the comeliness of Noah. Now, the theme here seems to be, if I were to identify this, Walking with God is the way to escape judgment. Let me say that again. Walking with God is the way to escape judgment. Um, this was first pointed out to me by Dr. James Allman. Um, he is the uh, one of the new, uh, excuse me, Old Testament professors at the Dallas Theological Seminary, and I really like um, what he has to say about this in Old Testament history. And um, so, walking with God is the way to escape judgment. And remember, we can really only use here to develop the theme of this uh, this part in the plot line. We can only use information that we have so far. So at this point, we don't really know anything about. Um, you know Jesus about about the actual paradigm of of salvation. You know we we don't have Romans ten thirteen to work with here, and so we have to look at what we have so far. Um, and here's what we have so far when we get to this place in uh, the story. We find that Enoch walked with God, and 
was not. Right? So Enoch was um, translated to heaven. Um, in, in a sense, you could say that he was actually raptured um, to heaven. He was taken without um, without having died. Okay, so this is a, a unique thing. Um, we find that this same sort of thing happened, although in a little different way, to Elijah later on in the Old Testament. But so far, we know that Enoch walked with God and was not. Now, we also know that Noah walked with God and found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And ultimately, he... he um, was able to escape the judgment of the flood. Now, let me, don't jump ahead of me here. Uh, you're probably beginning to formulate some thoughts, but um, just hear me out. Now, Noah, the Bible says, was perfect in his generations. Now, there is much speculation as to what this means. Um, let me just read a little bit of Bible to you really quick, and then we're going to kind of analyze that thought a little bit. Um, Genesis 6, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 6 and verse number 5, beginning there, it says this, and God saw the uh, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And then uh, closing with verse 8, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what does it mean when the Bible says that Noah was perfect in his generations? And we didn't actually read verse 9, but in verse 9, we would find that it begins talking about Noah um, having been perfect in his generations. Now, um, in this sense, we can understand the word perfect to mean blameless. Now, what's my evidence for that? Well, let's look at what it what it obviously doesn't mean. Uh, there's at least two things that it obviously does not mean. All right, it does not refer to genetic purity. All right, now there has been much speculation on this, but it it, it does not seem to refer to genetic purity. All right, now this is a manipulation of the text. Um, that relies on the fallen angel's view that we discussed last week. In other words, if um, if the fallen angel's view is is not shown to be true, uh, not the most plausible view as we looked at, uh, then it makes no sense to interpret this um, in terms of genetic purity. Okay, so that's what it does not refer to. Now, it also does not mean that he was free from unrighteousness. Now, um, what what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean for Noah to be a just man then, if he, and perfect in his generations, if he's not free from unrighteousness? Well, let me um, draw a parallel in the life of Abraham, because we can use some of this later revelation that we have to 
understand paradigms of the old. We have the facts stated um, in uh, in this case, and we have to evaluate those as such, but now we can look to some other examples and see, and I think the best one in this case is Abraham. We, we see this theme in a parallel to Abraham. Now, here's why we know that Noah is morally unrighteous. Now, even though he was spared, we know he was morally unrighteous righteous. And here's how we know that in Genesis chapter 8, 20 to 22. And it says this, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Now, if even after the flood, now remember, The only people who exist right now are Noah and his family. These are the only people that man can, that God uh, can possibly be talking about because they're the only people left on the earth. And he says that man's heart is evil from his youth. He must be talking about the family of Noah. So Noah was not morally perfect. He was not uh, morally uh, pure. He was, in fact, an unrighteous person with evil thoughts in his heart. And yet, he was spared. Now, we look to Abraham. Romans 4.3 says this, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Walking with God, believing God. When Abraham did this, it was counted unto him for righteousness. Noah walked with God. And if you'll give me the liberty to say this here, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Noah's faith, just like Abraham's faith. See, you now Abraham's faith in God was counted for righteousness. So this, uh, this could not mean moral, even spiritual perfection. Remember, because in even Abraham's life, we see sins of unbelief in Genesis 17 and 18, lying in Genesis 12 and 20, and even lack of faith when he slept with Hagar in Genesis 16. So we find that um, 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 immoral people, those who are not morally perfect, can still be counted as righteous in the sight of God because they believe God and they walk with God. Now, lo and behold, what is it that it is to be a Christian? One of these days, we are going to be saved from the judgment. How are we going to be saved from the judgment? Now, it's not going to be because we're morally perfect. It's going to be because of grace. Salvation 
is and has always been, even in the days of Noah, by grace through faith. This is one of the earliest indications, maybe even the earliest indication, that we see a shadow of what is so clearly brought into light and taught in the New Testament Scripture. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. So, while walking with God is the way to escape judgment, remember our theme to rehash, walking with God is the way to escape judgment, it requires two things. There are, there are two parts to that. It requires grace on the part of God and faith on the part of those who believe. Remember, um, um, he that cometh to God, this is in Hebrews, must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So we find that that, that Noah uh, was a, a comely person, um, and I use that term for the sake of alliteration, but what we're trying to say, of course, is that Noah walked with God. He escaped the judgment because when everybody else was acting on the evil thoughts that were in their heart, Noah the Bible says, was a preacher of righteousness. He was, uh, in fact, um, from everything we can see, and it's a reasonable inference to say that he was literally preaching righteousness while the world scoffed at him as he was building this ark. And so um, we need to understand that um, while it is by grace, through faith, um, there are works, of course, that are involved that will show as an outworking of that faith working in your life. And of course, we learn much more about that in the writings of Paul and of course, quite a bit when we get down to James. And so um, we should take note of that. Now, uh, therefore, we need to move to the condition of salvation. We see the comeliness of Noah, and we can look at that in the comeliness um, in our own lives. You know, we, we, we have no intrinsic comeliness. There, there is nothing about us that warrants the salvation. Um, nevertheless, we uh, put, uh, put boots, <laughs> to say it one way, on our faith, we act on that faith. We walk with God, and that allows us to escape the judgment. Now, the condition of salvation, and this is where I mentioned earlier the theme uh, again, and I also got this from um, Dr. James Allman, is that God will sacrifice anything and everything for holiness. We learned uh, that that God is a maximally great being. We kind of reviewed that in the beginning, and we talked about the fact that, among other things, this means that uh, God is moral perfection. It only makes sense, then, to, uh, to understand that he is concerned with holiness. The discourse that we went through earlier is the true point that we want to make here, that God's ultimate goal is to conform us to the image of his son. You can see this probably most clearly in Romans 8:29. And this is a cause that is so important 
uh, to God that apparently um, he is willing to sacrifice everything that he must in order to achieve it in us. So when we look at these difficult areas in our lives, we look at things that are happening that maybe we don't understand, we could take heart that it is the will of God because he is working out his will in us, which is to see us conformed to the image. Now, realization of this or the the bringing of this to bear will come by grace. It won't come by works. And this is the whole point of what we just saw. Uh, if it were by works, Abraham wouldn't have made it. Noah wouldn't have made it. It's not by works. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Paul writes to the Ephesians. So, it uh, can be tempting to think in this particular scenario of Noah's moral righteousness as the condition of salvation. But that would be a terrible, terrible mistake. You see, it's it, it, it's only by grace that we can be counted a son of God. So the bottom line is that grace is the condition of salvation. It will always be by grace. Salvation came by grace in the days of Noah. Salvation came by grace in the days of Abraham and Lot. Salvation came by grace in the days of um, uh, Noah and the children of Israel. It came by grace in the days of the kings and the judges. And in the days of the remnant, it has always been by grace. And of course, in Christ, we see the ultimate culmination of this theme. Salvation is by grace through. Have we driven that home enough? in this podcast yet. Salvation is by grace. Do not think of Noah's moral perfection as having anything to do with the salvation at the flood. And what we want to talk about here is the goodness of God. God is sovereign. He is good. He has given us a free will. I um, and I don't talk about this much because it's really not the purpose of this podcast, but I'm not, I'm not a Calvinist. I have a little different persuasion. I'm not an Armenian either. Uh, sometime maybe we'll talk about um, the view that I affirm. Uh, but nevertheless, I have a very, very high view. I would say the highest view of the sovereignty of God. And I believe that he is able to work things out in such a way that we have genuine free will. I, I do believe that we have the ability to resist the call of God, to resist that call to salvation. But nevertheless, it is by grace. Um, I believe in monergism, not synergism, all right? And monergism is simply the view that the salvific process is completely and utterly bound to God. It, it, it happens in God. Uh, there is nothing, no part uh, uh, of the process involves our um, choosing God because the Bible says that we do not choose God. But I do believe we have the ability to resist. And so salvation will be by grace. And my theology does not harm that one bit. Um, now, we need to finally see then the connection to Christ the connection uh, to Christ. Now, here's the theme. The time of Christ's return will be like the days of Noah, and God will rescue the, quote, righteous 
unquote. Okay, so we can see this theme most clearly in um, Matthew chapter 24 and verses 37 to 39. And it says this, But as the days of Noe were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noe entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. B. So we see this parallel. And of course, we actually talked briefly from the um, um, theological and scientific perspective of the fact that this is one of the places where the Bible compares the uh, coming of the Son of Man, which is a worldwide event, to the global flood, which is also a worldwide event. Right? Um, this uh, flood was not global, or excuse me, it was not local. It was not restricted to one geographic area. As a matter of fact, it was a worldwide flood. And I know of no other way that the Bible could have possibly communicated this fact more clearly. But again, we want to look at this today from more of a theological perspective, and we should see the immediate connection to Christ. We should see how the flood narrative is uh, used by Christ himself as a perfect illustration of his own um, um, rescue of humanity. Uh, this is going to be a another uh, time when God preserves his uh, chosen through the flood or through uh, a judgment. And if we believe God, for us, it will also be counted as righteousness to escape this judgment. Walking with God, as we saw a minute ago, is the way to escape justice. But it comes by grace, and it's done through faith. And so Christ draws this direct parallel, meaning that we can apply the, the New Testament teaching that we do know about Christ back into this uh, flood narrative to understand the um, salvific parallels. All right. Now, before we close out, and we're almost done, we're going to end this uh, episode a little bit earlier than we uh, maybe normally would, but that's okay. Not a problem at all. Um, we want to look at some biblical parallels between Christ and the ark. And we're not going to um, dive too deep. We're not going to kind of wax theological here on any one of these in particular. I'm just going to mention them to you and give you a thought or two. But then I'm actually going to um, uh, put a... Uh, a link in the lesson notes that I really want you to check out. It's a website that I found that does a great job. It's just a blog, uh, and uh, the the person who crafted that has put together a really, really awesome graph uh, that directly uh, and visually shows these parallels between the person of Jesus Christ and uh, the Ark of Salvation uh, that we find in um, 
the flood narrative. And I think it's just a really, really great parallel. So I'm going to mention a few here. Some of those are on that list. Some of them aren't. Uh, but uh, that uh, that particular article was very, very detailed. So I will uh, have a link to that in the lesson notes. So the first parallel uh, that I saw, uh, that I observed, is the conditions outside of the boat. Um, Jesus said that in the uh, w- when the end uh, comes, it's going to be the same kind of thing that was going on in Noah's day. Um, they're going to be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and they're not uh, they're not going to be thinking one iota, nothing about the judgment that is coming. They just don't care. Peter backs this up. He says they're willfully ignorant. Of these things. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't care. They don't believe it. They don't think it's true. They don't think God created the world. They don't think he's judged it in the past. And therefore, they don't think he's going to judge it again. And so this is what happens. This is what Jesus said is going to happen. This is a parallel. The conditions outside of the boat um, in the flood narrative are going to be the same conditions outside of uh, the boat, so to speak, in the last days. Um, Christ's return will be unexpected, just like apparently the flood was unexpected. Now, even though Noah was a preacher of righteousness and was probably preaching uh, about the fact that a flood was coming, people ignored him. They didn't care. Uh, They heard him and went in one ear. You've heard this, you've heard this phraseology used before. It went in one ear and out the other. That is, they heard it, but they didn't process it. So they weren't expecting him. They heard it, but they weren't expecting it. And it's the same exact thing with the last days. There will be preachers. There will be plenty of people preaching righteousness in the last days. There are lots of people preaching righteousness today. But look at it. It just goes in one ear and out the other. There's no thought given to it. it, it, it it's not a thought that is that is processed. People don't think about it. All right, now the other parallel is the door. Um, or a- another parallel, I should say, is the door. There is only one way in. There was only one way into the ark, and there is only one way in to heaven. And you know, uh, this is a-, a side note, and we won't spend much time on it, but um, I've begun to see, the-, the, more I- the more I learn about our relationship to Christ and what it actually means to be in Christ, the less I talk about um, heaven. Heaven is a great thing. Um, There is a pretty robust biblical doctrine about heaven. There are things you can learn uh, in the Bible, of course, about what heaven's going to be like. But honest to goodness, though, it's comparatively low. The Bible does not teach anything near about heaven. What it does teach about being in a relationship with God, you see, Eternal relationship with the creator of your soul is the reward, not heaven. Heaven, in a sense, is what it means for uh, for beings with, you know, bodies like ours to be able to enjoy a, a, a perfect bliss, a perfect paradise. But um, it, it it almost feels so distant to me. Now I've not uh, I've not read. Uh, there are some great books on heaven, and I've not read any of those yet. And maybe when I begin to read more about heaven itself. Um, maybe I will begin to talk differently about this, but right now, I, I don't really talk that much about heaven. I talk about what it means to be in Christ, 
to and for Christ to be in me, uh, to have that relationship, that direct relationship with the Creator and Redeemer of my soul. Um, heaven is the byproduct. Jesus is the goal. All right. Um, so He's the door. There was one door in the ark, and there's one door to a relationship with Him. There is one door to access uh, your ultimate purpose when it comes to reality. All right. Another parallel might be uh, the the proclamation of righteousness over those who were saved. In other words, in Noah's case, um, it was counted to him for righteousness. He was saved, um, but his walking with God was counted to him for righteousness. In other words, his faith. And so there's this proclamation of righteousness over those who were saved in the ark. In virtue of their being saved, they were basically being declared righteous because they walked with God. Now, it's the same thing for us. We are uh, declared righteous even when we are morally imperfect because we are saved. And that same thing is going to happen. We are going to, um, in a sense, escape this judgment that is coming in virtue of the fact that we have had righteousness proclaimed over us. Okay? God's presence, fifthly, was with Noah. Remember, he told Noah to come into the ark. Not to go into it, but to come into it. And that's very important. And this is just in the same way that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. We walk with God through the storm, through the 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 um the judgment and the persecution that uh, befalls this fallen world. We have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to help us to deal and process life when the storm is raging all around us and yet we we know that we are citizens uh, of another home. C.S. Lewis used to say um, something to the tune of if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I think that's so so applicable here. Um, we are made for another world. Things in this life just don't seem to satisfy. And the storm rages all around us, just like it raged all around Noah. But Noah uh, had the Spirit of God was in the ark with Noah, and we have the Spirit of God as believers inside of us as we are being carried through the storm. We see and we've seen in this series uh, paradise destroyed and we're still dealing with that I was thinking about this uh, as I'm recording this just last night um, we uh, during the month of August we have our services on Tuesdays and uh, so I'm recording this on the I guess the 21st or 22nd uh, Wednesday the 22nd that's when I'm recording this all right and um, but it's gonna air uh, next week okay so, last night, we had our uh, awesome August service, and I was thinking during the service, man, he was preaching on suffering, our, our, the uh, the guest preacher was, um, so we, you know, we have our services on Tuesday nights during the month of August, and uh, it's a special thing, and so we have a guest preacher and a guest choir come in, and uh, he was preaching, and I was thinking about this, just this thought of living in the fall. That's what we're doing. He was preaching on suffering, and we're living in the fall. We are, we are, we are believers. We are citizens of another country who have to live in this country, 
We are living in the fall. We are we are blessed people who have been declared legally righteous living in a legally unrighteous world. We have been declared, even though we are not morally perfect, in the sight of God. Yet we live in a morally imperfect world. We have to deal with this. So we now see this paradise destroyed. We are uh, not just talking about a paradise that was destroyed earlier with the fall and then with the flood, but we are we're still living in that world. We are living in paradise destroyed. Uh, you know, but I can just thank God and I can take heart, as we've been talking about, that one of these days, we're going to see paradise restored. This is not the end of our story. It's just not. Uh, we are looking for the day when there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We are going to find that everything will be made new. We will have conditions that are, I imagine, quite similar to Garden of Eden conditions. Where uh, the children can play with snakes, uh, you know, Isaiah talks about in the... Um, the wolf and the lamb, you know, will lie down together. And so we're looking for this day. We're looking for when paradise will be restored. Um, and we can only place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he will be that ark of salvation that we need to take us to that place. And we know that he will be. So while this series has been about the destruction of paradise, I just want to point you towards your creator, point you towards Jesus, because in Jesus, we can have a life. We can have a purposeful life, a meaningful life that fulfills the purpose that God wants for us. We can have that now in the middle of this fallen world. We don't have to live uh, according to the destruction that befalls this world. We can live according to the world that we were made for because ultimately that's where we are going. And that is uh, when this um, old world passes away and is destroyed, we will have a new heaven and a new earth and we will live here for eternity with our Creator. Hey, I'm looking forward to that day. I hope you are too. And thank you for joining us during this series. It's been a blessing to go through with you. And uh, we're really excited about things that are uh, up and coming. So let's go ahead and say a word of prayer as we close out. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. and want to say thank you so much for uh, bestowing your good gifts and your good grace upon us. Thank you, Lord, for choosing uh, Noah because he walked with you. Um, um, or, or I sh maybe I should say thank you for choosing uh, Noah and for allowing, Lord, that uh, as we walk with you, we know that we can escape judgment because that's exactly what happened in the case of Noah. Thank you for counting our faith as righteousness. Thank you for loving us and for sending your son to die on a cross for us, for being that ark of salvation for us. And thank you uh, for giving us these parallels that we can see in the Old Testament that so clearly um, um, help us to understand these uh, concepts of grace and, and faith and, and even judgment. Father, as we attempt to be authentic witnesses in this world for you, I pray now that you would give us the power to be bold, to be loving, and to be gracious, Lord, and to defend truth with rigor 
and with confidence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me again uh, for this week in this series on the uh, Creation Academy. Um, if any of you have any questions, I would like for you to submit those to steve at steveshram.com. I will put the link um, in the lesson notes. I'd be interested to see if you have any uh, questions about anything we talked about during this entire series. Um, next week's lesson will be a short uh uh, summary uh, of this entire lesson series. It's going to be uh, kind of a three-part thing. It's going to be a place to answer questions, and there might not be any, and that's fine if there's not. But if any questions do come up about the subjects that we've talked about, I'm going to try to do a Q&A um, um, episode next week. So um, if you have questions and would like to submit them, go ahead and do that. You can, uh, again, use the link that will be in the lesson notes. Um and then we're also going to provide a, a, a short summary of the series in general. And it's also going to serve as kind of a signpost episode. In other words, it's going to, uh, I'll have links there for all the other episodes in the series and an indicator as to when the podcast will be returning uh, with the next series. And I think what I'm, I know what I'm going to do for that, but I haven't decided for sure. So I'm going to withhold that uh, for now. All right. Thank you again for joining us. We love you. Please, um, share review this podcast go over to apple podcast and leave us a podcast review so that other people like you can find this podcast and learn uh, about god's magnificent and glorious creation thank you for joining us again this week on the creation academy and bye-bye